I could always beat you at chess, Merlin. Who said anything about chess? I've been playing poker. And I have an ace up my sleeve. Welcome to the Hoovering Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin is my namesake. And we're going to join the battlefield for this episode. Oh, wait a minute. That's the title of it. A battlefield. Oh, oh my goodness. At any rate, this is the first story of the last season of classic Doctor Who. The first of the last. First of the last. And this has a very interesting premise because we're dealing with King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, such as Anselin and Mordred, and, and Morgaine. Of course, none of those were actual Knights Excalibur. of the Round Table. Excalibur. Yep, Excalibur. And this is all from an alternative dimension, just to get out of the whole, okay, it's not really real kind of thing. <laughs> it is real, it's just another dimension. So, so like... I've made a lot of very strong statements about against fantasy and Doctor Who, and I hate how much I like this episode. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate that they at least threw other dimensions instead of other planet, and they did kind of address it with the whole tech, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and vice versa. And... So that made me feel better about it. But also it was because they did it so well with the, you know, characters from the King Arthur stories. Well, we did watch the updated director's cut version, which has a little bit of uh, a little bit of special effects update to it. Ooh. But it also... I wish they'd touched up the lightning, man. That was terrible. Or maybe the TARDIS. <laughs> actually, the lightning was touched up. It was actually far worse than the original. Um, but Gosh. one of the one of the things that they did do was they cut it in such a way to make it a little less hokey. Because, for instance, in the original version, at the very end of the first episode, where Ace is saying "boom," and of course Anselm gets thrown um, with that bomb into the um, the little barn, that scene was extended probably by another minute. Or, or so because and they had multiple times where Ace is saying boom 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 over and over again and it just was very weird and, and cheesy um, so so they they touched it up so that they basically made it a neater looking film and so we did watch the movie version just so you all know out there just so we could cut out all the theme songs but also tighten it up a bit which helped this story out tremendously hey some people like the theme songs 
<laughs> I love the theme songs. Don't get me wrong. I have to watch them every single time. But And that's the problem. <laughs> but that takes time, and we wanted to get through you're this. You're right. You're right. Yeah, sometimes efficiency has merits as well. Yeah, we, we're going to do the same for Curse of Fenric. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's an also, uh, I think, uh, um, you know, props to this episode for this in terms of efficiency. I don't think there was a lot of filler or too many unnecessary things at the end of the day. Was that was that because of the director's cut or like, like was there a, a lot more filler or was this pretty much it? It it's pretty much it. It's just that there was a little bit of filler. There was a little bit. Some of the scenes were cut a little short so that you didn't have extra walking or extra like nonsense that was just not necessary. I think that helped a lot. It did help a lot. It did it did tighten it up. Makes it makes the story a little bit more. Well, it makes it a lot more. Uh, serious than it was, and I think I mean there's still a lot of cheesiness. Well, in, in yeah, this but one. like, but the rest of the story was so serious that like when the doctor walks through, like in the middle of a battle and tips his hat at the two guys <laughs> sword fighting, like it that was funny and it really worked because the rest of it wasn't comical, and I think exactly. that was you know is kind of the key to it. <laughs> At least not intentionally comical. I, I thought some of the fight scenes were choreographed. Oh yeah, those than, were bad. You know, the lower T of the WWE. <laughs> I, I would definitely agree with that. There were some battle sequences that were actually pretty decent, and some explosions that were good. As a matter of fact, even the helicopter scene um, was, I thought, probably one of the better sequences in all of Doctor Who from the classic era because it actually kind of gave it more scale, especially when the helicopter gets blown up. And that leads me to two familiar faces in this particular story. One being, of course, Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge-Stewart. Yeah. Whom we all love and want to see in every single era of Doctor Who. Um, and um, funny enough, Morgaine is played by Jean Marsh. Now, Jean Marsh was actually... Um, Sarah Kingdom back during the first Doctor era and was actually a companion during the Daleks master plan. Oh my god, I this whole time when you were saying we were gonna see familiar faces and then we watched the whole thing and the only familiar face I saw was the Brigadier, I totally thought you were talking about the Doctor's car as the other face. <laughs> the Doctor's car Bessie does come back too. I, I'm surprised they didn't have Sergeant Benton in this one. I mean that would have been like like the, the, the whole unit team basically back together. Oh my god, and Brigadier shown in this. Oh, definitely. And so did Ace. Yeah, this was definitely a Brigadier Ace uh, story. As a matter of fact, even Brigadier Winifred Brunbera, who is um, the new Brigadier of Unit during this era, um, was actually, um, I thought, very well conceived. I mean, here we have um, mid-1980s, or 1989 actually is when this came out, I guess. Um, they were they were like, yeah, let's put a woman in charge. And it kind of goes back to the old-fashioned nature of, of Brigadier Alistair Gordon because he is like, well, who is this chap that I'm going to go meet that's a Brigadier now? Um, and it actually happens to be a woman. So <laughs> Yeah, and she's referenced as Sir, you know, as well. For most part, yes. But, uh, but she's... Th- what was really great about her is that she was a lot like the Brigadier when he first meets the Doctor. Oh yeah, no. She was like, she was all military. She was she she actually played it real. Like the doctor's not someone that I should be trusting. I should be uh, taking him into custody and figuring out what the heck is going on here. Um, and that kind of goes well towards. Yeah, I, I guess her that part character. was a little different from Brigadier Fred. 
But it also was kind of interesting that there was a love story between her and Anselin. Yeah, and it and it was it was, it was done well. Good. It, yeah, and it seemed like like it made sense. Like sometimes people they put people together in Dark Crew, and you're kind of like it's like purely situational. <laughs> Ace even gets a companion in the form of Shu Young, which was yeah making yeah. this cast a very diverse cast in in many ways. But like it really did. Like there were a lot of characters, but it didn't feel like there were too many characters. Well, I think it's because everybody had something to do, yeah. and like even down to. Um, and they weren't all together either. Well, even Pat Rawlinson and Elizabeth Rawlinson, who were basically the innkeepers, uh-huh. uh, and they had a backstory where she's blind and they're trying to take care of everybody in this town, and and she ends up getting her sight back thanks to the evil uh, villain of the story, which I'd be, is I'm so like, weird. Man, those were some expensive beers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He drank some beer and she gave her eyesight. Like, wow. Yeah, that that's and and it leads to the funny line uh where Pat's like, What well, give her a break. She she just she was blind just a half hour ago, so No, I think he was saying give me a break because she kept being like, I can do it myself. <laughs> oh yeah, no, but he said give her a break because yeah. he, he knows the the sergeant was like, um uh <laughs> Yeah, totally. I th- I liked the whole um, thing with, you know, the doctor coming in and everyone being like, oh, it's Merlin. Like, first of all, they're recognizing him based, like, the same way the Brigadier recognized him on just, like, they know him so well, they can tell even when his face is well, changed. Well, who else and, would and, be wearing question well, marks all over their sweater? Yeah, and the doctor has no idea what's going on, which is always, like, a fun you know, plot hook in Doctor Who with the Doctor. Like, you know, it doesn't come well, up much, and but the Doctor coming back to something that, you know, he hasn't actually done yet. And yeah. it just also kind of quickly got rid of all the, okay, you know, you can trust me, you know, I'm against you type thing that was all established. But it was also great because he could, you know, bluff his way through things and just really use it, even though he didn't actually know what all this stuff was. It was I thought it was very which, well done. Which is quite the opposite of what Sylvester McCoy's era has been, especially for season 25, where in Silver Nemesis and Remembrance of the Daleks, we have a doctor who knows exactly what's going on and is basically the master manipulator of the entire story. Now, now finally we've got it's the the doctor's still kind of the master manipulator in the sense that he does it in the future and has to rely on his past self to take up the mantle. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the doctor has no idea what the heck's going on. He's just going with the flow. And that's that's kind of uh, alien to the doctor. Except for at the very end where it's he seems very human as he describes nuclear war to convince Morgane to stop. I will say though that for a lot of the sub, the stronger like speeches that Sylvester had in this episode, some of them went over towards the cringeworthy side for me. I I think it's I think possibly that Sylvester was a little less um, experienced at this stage in his acting career. He was more of a comedian and more of a, a stage kind of performer, and so for these more gravitas type roles. He did struggle with them to a degree, and I, I can see that. Um, with that said, there were a lot of parts that he did extraordinarily well, and it's usually when he brings it down and brings brings it kind of within the, the intensive moments that are quiet. I liked their meta joke about that, too. 
It didn't really fit, but where he was all like, oh, yeah, you know, drama is just like comedy. It's all about timing. Exactly. And it's like, oh. Oh, (laughs) Well, well, kind of goes with his whole stage performer thing, I guess. But, I mean, it just, I think think Sylvester did have a little bit of a struggle during his three seasons. I think nowadays he'd probably actually do better just because he's a much more experienced actor in all realms. Yeah, although I thought overall he did really well in this episode. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not saying he yeah, was honestly, bad. I think across the board, the, you know, the acting was not problematic, you know, in this episode, especially... Well, Mordred was years. way over the top. Yeah, he was. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's always some outliers, don't get me wrong. Morgane was a little bit over the top, too, but she was supposed to be. That was kind of her... That She's like expect. a queen walking yeah, around yeah. like she owns the place. Well, I mean, yeah, with Mordred, definitely he went too far with it, but I did like his interpretation of Mordred being a little bit crazy, because that, you know, fits with all the legends, basically. But the Shu Yun and Ace sequences uh, and and scenes were pretty well acted, especially when... Yeah, with the darkness and the spotlight, that was some cool... Yeah, when they they were turning on each other, it got really dark. It got really dark in that sequence. Both, Both literally and metaphorically. Exactly. That was my point. <laughs> How do you guys feel about the uh, the TARDIS appearance in this episode? Or lack thereof? The the cramped felt circles behind a pr- pretty decent, you know, central console for the time, I'd say. So you're going for the trivia here. Yes, at this point, the TARDIS uh, interior, ex- besides the central console, was destroyed. It was no longer uh, usable. So they had to make a very quick sheet with kind of like lightly colored roundels in it and then put a backlight behind it just to create a TARDIS. And of course, it's really dark in the TARDIS, so you don't really see it, but you can still see it anyway because the lights are still too bright for the for the sheet that they use as the TARDIS backdrop. And so they this is the only time you see the TARDIS interior in any shape or form during the season. I've definitely seen more impressive TARDISes, you know, earlier in the incarnations, like decades behind this, I would say even. Well, I mean, the I mean the TARDIS interior, I guess, had kind of deteriorated over time. Um, it had, I mean, it was still the same one from almost a decade before, because they had started using a lot of the interior stuff during the um, 80s, early 80s. And so I think it was just with, with the cost of this series being very low, they didn't have a whole lot to work with. So, of course, they're they're patching things up with glue and tape mm-hmm. as it falls apart at the seams. Yeah, and when they try to make a, a demon monster spewing saliva, they really focus the camera in and watch it, the water pump out. <laughs> Although I have to say that this, this demon, uh, the Destroyer uh, character, uh, was pretty well conceived for 1989's Doctor Who. I mean, it was, he definitely looked more menacing than your typical Doctor Who monster. Yeah. I'll and go with that. Had a good voice, too. I think that helped tremendously. Um, another bit of trivia that I hadn't uh, discussed with you guys yet that not too many people realize is that Sylvester McCoy was actually a hero and actually saved Sophie Aldred's life in this particular story. Wow. They were on set where uh, Ace has to go into the tank and get uh, flushed out of the spaceship and into the lake. Um, in that sequence, 
um, there was an electrical wire that came, became loose. And um, also, at the same time, the uh, glass shattered um, and uh, was starting to spill water all over the set where all these other electrical wires were, were at. And so um, the doctor, Sylvester, I call him the doctor, Sylvester McCoy actually noticed in the middle of filming um, and actually has a, cur- there's a, there's a, there's a outtake where he actually curses um, and says, get her out, get her out immediately. And so, yeah, they pull her out. And so the, it, there's one part of that sequence where you can see the glass completely shattered and the water starting to drain. You can actually see it in the production because they couldn't go back and refilm it because it was already destroyed. So they had to it's basically dark. use so that when when you see Sophie Aldred actually being lifted out, that's them grabbing her to save her life from electri- electricity shock. Um, and that was uh, definitely one of the things that you can hear on the commentary. Wow. They tell it way okay. better than I do, but but yeah, I mean, uh, that I was... I mean, that's impactful. That's an impactful story. Yeah, that's amazing. We may not have had Ace after that. Uh, that would have... Uh, another part of the story that uh, mo- most people don't necessarily realize is that the Brigadier was actually supposed to be killed off by destroying mm-hmm. the Destroyer. Um, and they changed it last minute because they didn't think that would go over too well with the fans. Probably not. Yeah, I'm really glad they decided not to... No, they'll just turn him into a Cyberman later on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but that's after he dies. True, true that, but still. Um, But at any rate, so yeah, lots of facts about the story that that are just kind of interesting. So had we met or like heard of his wife previously? Oh yeah, no, that's another Doris. uh, Was was this is her first story? She got mad references. Oh, yeah, and, and she was a great character. That was another great thing is that a lot of people could see her totally being the Brigadier's wife because she would have to put up with him, um, and she did a very good job of that. Uh, but, yeah, there's a kind of a backstory with that, too, that's explored in a DVD extra where the Brigadier actually kind of talks about his time meeting Doris, and apparently Doris is from the Brigadier's past. He met her either at college or when they were younger, uh, teenagers, and he kind of had the hots for her back then. Um, and then, uh, but kind of lost touch. He ended up getting married to somebody else briefly, I think. Um, that marriage didn't last very long because he was a brigadier going against all these alien creatures and had this top secret life. So he never was there at home. So he lost touch with his first wife, who really wasn't for him because she, I guess she couldn't put up with him. Um, but Doris was definitely the love of his life. So it's kind of a sweet Aww. story that that they have, and I wish they could have explored that a little bit more in this. I thought I thought but... it was it was well established because mm-hmm. you know you've got that whole interaction where the doctor's like, ah, she finally got you, and then like you have her you know reaction after he goes off and does that thing, and she's just like, well, I'm going out with my friends. <laughs> you can make this dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that that's classic right there. Oh, um, but yeah, it, it's kind of a kind of a cute little love story uh, that there's there's a lot of love in this story apparently. Although there's a whole not a whole lot of Hello. love, not a whole lot of love for Mordred for Morgaine. Oh my God! No, yeah, not so much. But that seemed pretty fitting. Well, he was kind of a, an asshole to put it 
plainly. Yeah, I mean, but and, and Morgaine is usually depicted as a pretty ruthless person. <laughs> Say they kept a character. They didn't quite get the whole Arthur legend perfect, but then again, no, this is not, mm. not... Sylvester plays a mean Merlin, though. Yeah, and actually, the Arthur legend was okay. I was okay yeah, with it. I think it was fun. Yeah. Well, they had to have a little bit of leniency on it because it's from another dimension, so it's easy to explain away anything that doesn't quite fit in. You know what's nice about this story is we find out that, you know, in other dimensions, the doctor's running around saving civilizations. Absolutely. Yeah, good point. I also thought it was interesting that Morgaine mentioned that she was, like, the sorceress queen of, like, the six worlds or something. So this isn't the first, like, interdimensional jump that they've made. And it makes sense because you see all the soldiers come in and they're like, this is no big deal. We just do this. And yeah, that really widens the scope. It does. And also, when I first saw them come out, I was definitely th- getting Star Wars vibes. Like, <laughs> these guys arrive in a spaceship in full armor, fight with swords. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. You know, you know, you got your laser blasters and your swords going. Yeah. In the full set of armor. Pretty badass. It, it really was. Um, any dislikes for this story that you guys can think? Well, okay, I mean... I would, like, if something's a true fantasy, I love me some fantasy, but Doctor Who is at its heart of sci-fi, and there was just some straight-up magic. Like, I could get behind the whole, like, her shooting electricity out and blocking them. Okay, yeah, that could be a technological thing. She could have an implant mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I The eyes... That was pretty hard one, but I could see it at a stretch. The thing with the chalk circle, that one was just straight up magic. <laughs> there was just magic going on there with the darkness. Well, the I thought the circle. sword had something to do with it, because the sword had technology within it, and the doctor, I think, even mentioned that. Which was indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, but, 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 the, but the chalk circle. Right, but he drew his circle showing probably from what she I understand. But she didn't have to stay in the center of the circle. She could go to the edges, so it wasn't really a... But that was where the, the scope of how far the sword was able to protect her, I No, thought. but she took the sword with her to the edge of the circle in multiple directions, and it seemed to really be the circle. So, well, okay, I guess okay. we could say the sword had some sort of built-in protocol when it's, you know, inside a circle that it... But it just, you, you know, we like... We it's really, a stretch. Yeah, so we really do in this one see some magic, which we have seen in Doctor Who before and after this. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that's a drawback. However, if you're going to pull magic into Doctor Who, I think they did it really well the way they did it here. Yeah, and there is a little bit of fantasy uh, vibes from the program. I mean, there's always been a little bit of fantasy thrown in. Um, I mean, another good un- non-scientific part of this story is when Ace is actually launched from the bottom of a lake up to the surface. You, your lungs can't really uh, take that kind of abuse going from such a such such a depth as as how they sh- they showed it. Now, it's possible that. The, the spaceship really wasn't that far down, which is fine. Yeah, she might have been coming out of... Like, we don't know when she exited the tube. I feel like those are things that you always need to just kind of, like, be open to when we're watching Dr. Who, you know? Well, it's okay, so the sword actually created an air bubble around her, and so she really yeah. wasn't... Or she was inside the spaceship and inside the tube into, like, close to the surface. 
That could be. You know, so and like you know that that would be a different level of pressure and stuff. Yeah, that could be. Uh, I I mean, the, there's a lot of possibilities. It's just that it's she not. could have just sat under the surface of the water and put the sword up slowly to be dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Which she probably did. I mean, that sounds like ace. All right. Well. Well, we we did have some good ace moments in this. Just to say, like a lot of her running back when she was just like. You know, there's no way I'm letting. I'm just gonna toss these bullets in and let you know, leave it to chance. And her getting jealous of the brigadier and stuff. All of that I thought was really well done. And I also liked the brigadier at the end going, you know, eh, you can have him. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. I hear that. I think the doc- I think the brigadier said that in the Five Doctors too, when he was like, "I'm getting too old for this kind of thing." As the Cyberman's grabbing his arm and twisting it. Uh, I don't, but yeah, we'll get to the five doctors later. But yeah, no, I just, this story has a mixed reputation. Some people, I mean, granted you saw the updated, more tight version. I, I know that this kind of tends to have a, a reputation of being a little hokey, a little bit ridiculous, a little silly, over the top in many ways, um, and not very well scientifically explained. Um, that that those can be drawbacks for a Doctor Who episode, but and I think that will make. I, I mean, as you go through this season, this in, and I unfortunately have seen all this the stories <laughs> from the season, but um, I would say that it probably, in some ways, kind of weakens the story in the eyes of others, especially since we've already seen Ghostlight, so, <laughs> and Ghostlight was. Well rated, from what I remember. So, but yeah, I I don't know. I this this is one of those episodes, and I'll go ahead and just start the ratings myself since I've I've seen it and kind of entered into this topic anyway. Um, this episode, uh, when I first saw it, did have the excitement of King Arthur's legend. I mean, I thought that was kind of cool how they thought the Doctor was Merlin, and I, at first I was like, well, he probably isn't Merlin, they're just mistaking him for for Merlin. And then obviously it gets quite clear by the end that yes, this is obviously Merlin. Um, the special effects at the time, besides the helicopter sequences and the actual explosions, the uh, other special effects were pretty terrible. Um, the updated version mm-hmm. actually improves on them so, so much more. Um, and it's still kind of they, they kind of made the new special effects more similar to what you might get in true 1989 fashion. So they're still not yeah, all that... I was surprised that they were new. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not all that new um, looking. Um, so some of the practical uh, visuals of this story were, were lacking in, in many ways. And that did kind of take you out of the story to a degree. I think some of the set designs looked a little cheap, like the staircase with the winding lights, Christmas lights on it, um, that the Doctor had to go up for inside the spaceship. Were a, that was a little bit odd, and it, it was just like this long, random staircase in the middle of a spaceship with nothing around it, but all this like space. It's like, uh, okay, this is a little different. Um, that was a little bit off-putting for me. Um, I do. I did like a lot of the characters. I love Winifred. I love uh, Shu Yun. I love um, even the archaeologist dude. Was oh yeah, kind he of, was fun. He was kind of fun. He's like 
sprinting around in his little car and and going like probably way above the speed limit. Uh, but also, he's like, he's interesting. It was an interesting character. So it just it has a lot of character to the story, and I think that's what uh, is the appeal of this one. Um, not to mention, of course, the uh, what we've already mentioned. Um, I'm going to give this story a six point five out of ten. All right. So you know, Michael, I think you asked a question that I didn't fully answer, and and the question was, what was wrong with this episode? <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, I, I don't think that there's a lot of technical problems in this episode, at least when you go back and you look at, you know, the swath of classic Doctor Who. I think it's a tight story. Um, I think, you know, for what is not explained, it does make sense, and it's well-paced. And, may, and maybe it's because of the version that we saw, but there was a lot of filler cut out. There were a lot of characters, um, you know, that were all fun, um, that I think worked well together, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I didn't care about them. I didn't care too much about this episode. I feel like I should have. Um, you know, I like the Merlin. I like the fantasy aspects. I lean into that. And, the entertainment you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with having that. I feel like I, I should have really rode this entertainment value episode. But um, for what I, uh, from where I feel like I should be sitting in a uh, critic's you know, standpoint, I should have loved this episode. But I, I didn't. Um, and take that for what you will. Maybe it was where I was in the moment, but for me, the seven is getting a six out of ten. On to Shelby. All right, I like I I can't give this episode a nine or a ten because like it had too much magic. It was too too heavy on the fantasy. It has to lose a solid two points right there. <laughs> uh, that said, I really enjoyed this episode. I actually, I did. I cared about the characters mm-hmm. uh, a lot more than I usually do, especially with historical ones. And I know this one was set, like, in the future for the, you know, contemporary time it was filmed. But, like, even if we count that as the future, like, it was still about, like, you know, King Arthur. It was from back the past. Um, but I liked it. I thought I was very entertained. I was gripped through the whole thing. Again, the director's cut thing might have helped with that, but uh, yeah, this one is going to get an 8 out of 10 from me. I was not surprised. I thought you were going to go there. <laughs> well, Valid. Tell, Valid across the board. Tell us what you think. Uh, you can write to us on Facebook. You can, uh, and that's probably a good starting point. I don't think you have to email. I think email's kind of dead these days. <laughs> Well, you know, regardless, we're going to watch The Skies for Carrier Pigeons. So get your messages out there on any airwave you choose. We'll be checking the AM and FM frequencies. And, um, yeah, we'd love to uh, have that dialogue. All right. Good night, guys. Adios. Bye. (laughs)